In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Maurice Sendak's delightful children's book, Where the Wild Things Are, the boy Max makes mischief, and his mother sends him to bed without his supper. And in his roomy imagination, a forest grows, and he travels across an ocean to the place where the wild things are. And when he came to the place where the wild things are, they roared their terrible roars, and gnashed their terrible teeth, and rolled their terrible eyes, and showed their terrible claws, till Max said, be still, and charmed them all with the magic trick of looking in their eyes without blinking once. And they were frightened, and they called him the wildest thing of all, and named him the king of all wild things. There is something like Max's adventure in St. Mark's account of the temptation of Jesus. For Mark, alone among the evangelists, tells us that when the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness 40 days to be tempted by Satan, Jesus was with the wild beasts. Did you catch that detail? Christ was sent to where the wild things are, like Max. And as we will see, he tamed them. Christ tamed the wild beasts, not with a magic trick, but by conquering Satan and by showing himself to be the rightful king and lord of all, the savior of the world. Jesus was in the wilderness with the wild beasts. Now, the wild beasts, like the wilderness itself, are ambiguous. It's not immediately clear how the wild beasts are with Jesus. Are they with him in hostility, like Satan is? Or are they with him in friendliness and service, like the ministering angels? Is the term wild beasts meant to refer to animals in a general sort of way, so that their presence serves as a kind of emphasis on the loneliness of the place? Or are we to think of them as dangerous or repulsive to humans? Did the wild things that were with Jesus roar their terrible roars and gnash their terrible teeth and roll their terrible eyes and show their terrible claws? there's some reason to think that they did. After all, Adam's fall led to enmity between man and the other animals. In Eden, the Lord God brought every living creature to Adam, and Adam named them, and there was peace between man and beast. But the sin of Adam and Eve damaged that relationship, so that apart from a few precious exemptions, Throughout human history, the relationship between humans and wild beasts 
has been characterized by hostility and fear. As God says, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast. Above all, there is enmity between one beast and the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, namely the serpent who beguiled the woman and whom the Lord God cursed, saying, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. St. Jerome said that the desert abounds in monstrous creatures. And perhaps that is how we are to think of the wild beasts that were with Christ in the wilderness as so many monsters. For throughout Holy Scripture, monsters do often populate desolate places. Think, for example, of Behemoth in the book of Job, or of Leviathan, the untamable monster of the deep, of whom the mighty are afraid. Or think of how the prophet Isaiah prophesies doom against the enemies of Israel by listing the wild and monstrous beasts that will one day inhabit their cities, which are destined for destruction. Isaiah says, Thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be a haunt for jackals, an abode for ostriches, and wild beasts shall meet with hyenas. The satyr shall cry to his fellow, yea, there shall Lilith alight and find for herself a resting place. For Isaiah, all these wild beasts, some of them like the satyrs seemingly mythological, are meant to evoke the utter desolation and loneliness of previously inhabited places. And perhaps it's for a similar reason that St. Mark mentions them, namely to underscore the loneliness of the place where Jesus faces temptation. And it's worth pausing on that note for just a moment, because as St. Chrysostom says, in the wilderness, Christ was tempted not only by hunger, but also by loneliness. For Chrysostom says, it is there most especially that the devil assails us when he sees us left alone and by ourselves. Has not this last year taught us the truth of those words? I think that the loneliness engendered by the pandemic has been the devil's playground. We know too well what it means to recognize, as we did in today's collect, that we are assaulted by manifold temptations. And this brings us to a deeper spiritual meaning of the wild beasts that were with Jesus. Perhaps they symbolize sin. Perhaps they are with him as so many temptations. Perhaps we should picture them as lurking near Jesus, waiting for him to drop his guard to spring. Perhaps they personify sin as in Genesis, when the Lord warns Cain, sin is crouching, sin is 
lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Or perhaps they are like the three wild beasts in Dante's Inferno, the leopard and the lion and the wolf that menace the poet when he finds himself lost in the shadows of a savage forest. Perhaps St. Mark's wild beasts, like those in Dante, represent, as Father Krauss puts it, not external forces or circumstances, but passions of the soul, fantasies of vices, images of the wilderness within. Now, to be clear, Jesus was without sin. He was tempted, the scripture says, in every respect as we are, yet was without sin. That is, if the wild beasts symbolize sin or types of sin, then for Jesus, they remain only potential threats, but real threats nevertheless. They lurk nearby desiring him, but he has mastered them and they are kept at bay. Put differently, Jesus was in the wilderness, but the wilderness was not in him. It is otherwise with us. Apart from the grace of Christ, our hearts are a roaring wilderness. Wild beasts roam the wilderness within. Our sins, they tear and ravage our souls. The devil roars like a lion, seeking to devour his prey. He was there in the wilderness, 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Here's the good news. However we understand the wild beasts, Christ has mastered and has tamed them. Jesus is driven into the wilderness as the new Adam. Like the first Adam, he was tempted by Satan, and yet he, the new Adam, did not fall. He conquers temptation. He breaks the reign of sin. He bruises the serpent's head. And whether the wild beasts were initially hostile towards him or not, in the end, they are peaceably with him. For St. Mark always uses that phrase, to be with someone, to describe close, friendly relations. Christ is with the wild beasts in the end, and they are peaceable. The ancient enmity between man and beast is reversed. And the messianic prophecy of Isaiah begins to find fulfillment. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. In the wilderness, Christ, the Lamb of God, is with the wild beasts, and they are peaceable. He is making all things new. And even if the wild beasts are monsters, 
then Christ must have been content with their companionship, for he made them and they are his creatures. It is said that one of the servants of Christ, St. Anthony of Egypt, once encountered a satyr or a fawn in the desert, a creature with the body of a man and the legs and horns of a goat. And it is said that this beast brought Anthony some dates to eat and said to him, we ask you to pray for us to the Lord we share. For we know he came once for the salvation of the world, and his sound has gone out over all the world. Now, whatever you make of this story, the satyr's point still stands. If Jesus is the Lord of all, then he is the Lord we share with all creatures, including those that to us are monstrous or unknown, undreamt of in our philosophies. At any rate, stories abound of the saints fostering friendly relations with wild animals. For example, Saint Jerome famously had a lion as a companion, and one of the medieval Russian saints, Sergei Radonezhsky, shared his bread with a bear. And to me, these stories radiate the character of Christ. In the wilderness, Christ begins to undo the damage of sin. His victory over temptation and sin makes possible our own. By his grace, we are able to triumph over every evil. He is able to master the wild beasts that populate the wilderness within, to quell the evil things that come from within, out of the heart of man, evil thoughts, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Christ masters all these things and keeps them at bay. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, and Christ the Lord can order the unruly wills and affections of sinful men. He goes to where the wild things are, that we who are assaulted by manifold temptations might find him mighty to save. For he is able to renew the wilderness within. When he is present in our hearts by faith, he makes the desert bloom. As he says through his prophet, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. No lion shall go there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs, and everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.